And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And for the first time in about seven or eight weeks, it is guys. Stan the Fan, along with my good friend Craig Heist, and I'll tell you who's happier than a pig-eating slop You is Brittany Everett. Oh, wow, oh, okay. Boy, well, yeah. she is every week. I really miss Craig. I really miss Craig. I and said to know him. And it surprises you how. I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure. But look, at, look, this, but look. look at the smile on her face. Absolutely. Yeah. I smiled you always, when I came in and saw her. Do you always put a smile on uh, women's, women's faces? faces? I try to. <laughs> uh, but usually I, it's more like. Look, I hey. try to come in here with my, as John Panette would say, yeah. my cherub-like <laughs> demeanor. Okay. But the late John Panetta. The late, you're right. But we're, we're seven weeks that I was out because of doing some other things. Right. And you can say what you were doing. You were making money all right, well, on the I, Masson I, well, show. We were, we were doing yeah. Masson for Phil Wood, who's recovering from right. triple bypass. And he's right. back now on Masson. That's great. And it's great. great. He looks good. Uh, still not quite ready to make that trek down to D.C. yet. So right. we've got post-game duties down there. Uh, but I've been gone seven weeks, mm-hmm. and you still haven't changed the intro. It's still Bonza Tufa. Yeah. Bonza was here one week, uh. by the way. Bonza's here. You know, he left his job down there. Oh, so he's back? He's back. He's back. Doing what? He's looking for work. He's oh, this is a good for place work. for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's looking for work that pays, uh. actually pays real money. Uh, how you doing? Uh. I'm a little. You've been. You've been. I'm a little tired, but I'm all right. You've been at a dizzying pace with baseball, haven't you? Had like two double headers in the last week, the, and the, you got another one today. In the last week, yeah, two double headers down with the Nats. They made up a double header or made up a game with a double header with the Braves, and uh, you know there was another one that was rained out that they had to make up. So. Uh, it, it's been long, it's been hard, it's, uh, it, it's been tough, but, uh, we got another one today because of another yep. rain out and yep. we've certainly had our share of rain this year. No question but, about uh, it. And there's, and the weather forecast today is not, it's so not real good either. Right. Yeah. So, All right. yeah. uh, before we get into, uh, anything, let, let's run down the guest list real quick. Steve Garland, mm-hmm. uh, our big bats owner used to do the, um, Bay bridge traffic report once a month. But I've been without you here. I've been sort of saying you're because he's laying around. He had knee replacement surgery ah. about four weeks ago, okay. and he, so he's laying around his place a lot of the time. Uh, so I'm, I'm having him each week until he gets back back to work. Uh, we've got Jim Henneman on last week, and we've actually got their their right phone numbers on the, yeah. on the sheet. I, I seem to have missed that fiasco last week. <laughs> I was I tell you. I, if I endeavor to explain it to people, I think their eyes glaze over. And, at it, would how be, we, and it would be 12 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then we got, and not that Jim isn't an exciting guest, Jim's going to talk to us a little bit about his most recent trip to Cooperstown, uh, which is a week later than it would have been had we had his right number on the on the thing. Anyway, Jim's going to also talk to us about the, the many Baltimore connections and mentions that Baltimore got in the speeches 
mm-hmm. by uh, folks uh, that were inducted into uh, uh, the Hall of Fame there. At 1045, and this is sort of ironic, I reached out to Jeff Idelson, who's the director of the um, uh, Baseball's Hall of Fame, and Jeff, or Director of Communications, Jeff is going to be with us. Good. 1045. You know Jeff a I little do bit. indeed. Mike Shallon's going to join us uh, from up in Boston, where the uh, number one record in all of baseball is being held by the Boston Red Sox. Um, at 1135, we'll have on Chelsea Janes from Chicago. On the, from the Washington Post. Okay. Yep, she's out there covering the series. Unless you want to text her and see if she wants to come on closer to 1125. Yeah, but we're then right. we're, we're good, 1135. We're all, right, yeah. all right, so that's what we've got for you. Uh, a wild game last night. Craig, um, we've, we've witnessed Dylan Bundy since he was the number one draft pick, what, about six years ago mm-hmm. now? Um, what has happened to him since that injury in Atlanta where he turned his ankle? He's been pretty awful. He's been pretty awful, but, I, I, you know, to me it's more location than it is anything else. You look at the home runs he gave up last night, Stan, and the balls are up, and, you know, it's like you said after the game. If I can't command either side of the plate, I'm going to run into trouble, and uh, he certainly did. And, you know, let's face it, this is an 8-3 game last night for the Orioles after three innings. Three innings, innings. yep. And before you know it, you know, the Red Sox eventually wind up with a six-run sixth inning, and it started with Brock Holt's home run. Uh, But then it just fell apart from there, mainly because the bullpen couldn't couldn't throw strikes. As a staff last night, the Orioles walked ten, 10 batters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's you know. And here's the other thing: after intentionally walking the bases loaded, right? Because you didn't want to deal with JD Martinez, which or, I don't blame you. Which I don't blame them at all. The next guy walks, yeah. and you're forcing in a run. Yeah. So for me, I mean, it was just bad pitching last night. Uh, Bundy didn't really have it. I give him credit for going as long as he did in the game. Well, that's where I'll I'll differ with you and the manager last night. Uh, it, with the score eight to five after five innings, mm-hmm. I, and and him pitching out of the fifth inning where he gave up that double that went between um, uh, Trey Mancini and Cedric Mullins. Right. I mean, we'll have to talk Mullins about Mullins. Almost talk. Um, almost he would have caught, caught that, that ball. ball if Trey Mancini had known just how fast he is. He would have caught that ball. He would have backed off of it. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, Mullins, if you watch his reaction on the play, he goes all out for the ball. He's He catches Mancini just barely in his eye, and he pulled his glove just slightly, and then as soon as the ball went past him, he kind of hunched over like he was expecting to get collide. Hit collide yeah. right. But the other part, the other fascinating boy, thing about that play, f- he's fast. He's fast. But uh, the other fascinating thing about that play was the fact that he got his glove on the ball. Yep. And the ball, after it popped out of his glove, kind of spun off, spun, spun off, off the, the top wall. of the wall. Yeah. yeah. So Un- unbelievable. A couple inches either way. So anyway, run. they get that double. Then he walks Bogarts, mm-hmm. I think, and then he retired the last batter. To me. If I'm up eight to five against the Red Sox with four innings to go, and I know I got, with all due respect to major league pitchers, if I know I got Yaka Bonus and Ramirez tomorrow, 
I'm doubling down on winning tonight's game. Mm-hmm. I proactively bring in Castro to start that inning. Yeah, but, well, that's um, that's fine and dandy. But yeah. Castro couldn't find a plate either last night. But you don't you don't know for a fact that he wouldn't have if he hadn't come into. Uh, you know, it's the old uh, fallacy of the predestined play, which ironically was Ken Nigro's uh, theory on baseball that you don't know exactly what's going to happen if you let certain things transpire. And then do something else. Right. But so, anyway. He walks three, and here's right. a great line for you. Right. Two-thirds of an inning, three runs earned without the benefit of a hit. Right. So. Right. And and then Donnie Hart was just as bad. Yes. Uh, so, uh, the ball game got away from the Orioles. They lose it 19-12. to 12. And that ball Benintendi hit last night to right field may still be going somewhere <laughs> along Boy. the warehouse. Boy. I, I got to be honest with you. I knew the Red Sox were good this year. Mm-hmm. They are remarkable. They're remarkable, but this game for them, to me, is going to change once the postseason starts. And for as great an offensive club as they are, they better damn well have their pitching straightened out by that time. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. And I'll tell you who else, and I know we're calling Steve Garland, I'll tell you who got one of the biggest blows of all is the Los Angeles Dodgers. They They made no... Major attempt to improve their bullpen, and they were very close, supposedly, to trading for Shane Green of the Tigers to be the setup man. Now they've lost Kenley Jansen for at least a month because with an irregular, irregular heartbeat. Um, and I got to tell you, they all of a sudden, and last night they they lost a game in Colorado, five to four to the Rockies, where their bullpen was not good in the middle innings, like the six and seven, mm-hmm. and they coughed up the lead. Yeah. All right. So Do we have the right guest this time. Okay. All right. I got nervous. I see her talking for a couple minutes there. She's too. she's good. She can do deal with her. It's not her that had the wrong phone numbers last week. No, it's not. It's and I not. wasn't even here. But it was a test. I purposely wrote them wrong backwards. to see. Yeah. No, not backwards. I purposely gave her two guests with the same phone number to see how she would handle it, and she failed miserably. Uh-huh. You know. Mm-hmm. Joining us right now. Did is, she fail? <laughs> did she fail at beating you to a pulp after the game? <laughs> after the show, you mean? Yeah. Anyway, joining us right now is a phone number we've always got right, and that is the owner of Big Bats Cafe there in Stevensville, Maryland. And joining us right now is the proprietor of Big Bats, and that's our friend Steve Garland. Steve, how are you? Stan and the other young gentleman there. How are you guys today? That's good. That's all right. That's Craig Heist. Hey, Craig, uh, good to take, good to hear you again in there. You we missed you last week, I think. Yeah, yeah well, I've been gone for a little bit. He's been gone. He's been making the big bucks over on Masson doing a show over there. Hey, that's all right. You know, we got to we got to get what we got to get. That's exactly right. Hey, Steve, before we um, before we get to talking some baseball, uh, we had some sad news in in our world. You and I are very good friends with Boog Pal and uh, Boog's wife Jan passed away 56 years of marriage she's she's been of ill health for a good while but uh sad but it causes us to reflect on what a remarkable man boog pal is above and beyond his baseball exploits above and beyond the uh cook that he is uh you know there are a lot of men that would have bailed out on taking care of their wife the way he did over the last several years uh john john you just don't, you know, you see the, 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 the John, it's always seems perfect in front of the, 
fans and everything, but he's just he's the same way when you're sitting at a table and having dinner or, or lunch and and with other guys, he's just a very just genuine great person. Yep, there's no question about it, and we send along our condolences to him and his children. Uh, Fifty six years, Jan and Boog met. In Rochester, New York, when Boog Powell was a prospect with the Rochester Red Wings, I think around 1961 or 62, and they've been married. A, well, it's it, got to be 62, I think. It was it was a blind date, too. Was it? Well, yes. I guess when you're looking at Boog Powell, it's got to be blind. <laughs> no. Yeah, anyway. No, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a story that there was a bunch of old-timers at the restaurant one day. There's uh, uh, Joe Klein and all those guys used to come over all the time once a month and sit around the big table and just talk baseball. And one of them brought a story up about Boog and saying that he went out on a blind date right. with his buddy. And uh, and his buddy had, was, unfortunately, his buddy was taking Boog's, had was dating Boog's future wife. Right. And, 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 and he set up, Boog up with this other woman and when they got done with the date, they said, well, let's go out tomorrow night. And John pretty much said, uh, I'll go out tonight, tomorrow night, but I want to go out with Jan, not the other girl. Right. <laughs> so uh, that kind of where it started at a long time ago. Yeah, so. yep. 56 years. Yeah. I, I got to know Jan pretty well um, in the early 90s when Boog first moved back to Baltimore to run the uh, barbecue stand out there. And uh, very fond of her and uh, – uh, we're sorry to see her go, and again, our condolences to the Powell family. Now, yeah. how how are you feeling coming along with the from the uh, knee replacement? Well, uh, I'm three weeks now, and it's getting better every day. Still, uh, the big the big deal right now is you have these. Uh, they pull the staples out, then they put these tape strips over there to make sure it stays together while it's healing. And the key is to get healed enough that these tape strips come off, and then you're doing pretty good. So. I lost two uh, tape strips today in the shower, so things are going well. <laughs> All right. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, w- what do you make of this uh, baseball team right now? That was a pretty frustrating game when you get ahead. As good as Boston is, if your number one, supposed number one starter has got an 8-3 to three lead after three innings, you you got to like your chances in that game. Well, you do, and uh... – and what the uh, the old walk just killed us last night. Um, I think they had eight walks or nine walks ten, and one ten. hit by a pitch, and every one of the guys that walked scored. Yeah, I think it was ten walks, and I think nine of them scored. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad. But there was there were some really exciting things last night. I mean, do you know the the, the uh, error that uh, that Jones said about the change in the error about him going to right and the other guy going to center field. Right. What a what a refreshing uh, thing that was last night, seeing his family and producing the way he did. Uh, and it looks very good. The future looks good. If that's anything close to what could come from him. Well, we 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 kind of got talking about some other things, Craig, in the open. That was a pretty remarkable debut by Cedric Mullins. Yeah, three hits on the night and. Uh... You can see the speed in the outfield and why the Orioles like him so much and why fans in a season that's been lost for quite a while uh, have been clamoring to see him come up here and get recalled or get called up. And uh, I thought it was pretty neat last night when they were getting ready to leave the dugout and everything. Everybody was saying, you know, no, 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 you lead us out there now. Right. You know, and, and 
uh, Cedric goes out and leads the team out on the field, and Adam goes to right field, and uh, you know, say what you want, but Adam Jones is one class act. That's yeah, he really handled and that. Uh, he handled it great, yep. and you know, it's kind of like. And Cedric said afterwards, who knows? Maybe it's like the passing of the torch, and 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 it could very well be. And you know, Adam goes out and responds and has a pretty good, nice pretty game. Pretty good, terrific ball game. Yeah, I got to yeah. tell you though. It's interesting, and Adam in his prime, uh, and offensively he's not all that far. I mean, he's not the player he was three, four years ago offensively either, but defensively he had really slipped a little bit. Uh, This reminded me when the Orioles acquired Nate McClough to play left field. Suddenly, between Adam and McClough, there were a lot of balls that didn't fall in that fell in prior with Mullins going coast to coast, you know, I think this uh, outfield defense is going to be much improved, which is going to, and I don't just mean catching the ball. I mean the angles that the opposing hitters are going to have to hit the ball to get hits in the alley has been narrowed a little bit. Yeah, and we, you know what, along those same lines, we saw a ball hitting the gap last night that went for a two-base error that Jackie Bradley Jr. just had the ball go off his glove as he was running into right center field. Uh, I think Caleb Joseph hit that ball. And, uh, my, you know, yeah, you, you charged with an error. Right. Yeah. You will not find a better defensive center fielder than Jackie Bradley Jr. And yet, you know, this, this, is, this is something uh, I like about having Cedric Mullins here now is the fact that you, you're very comfortable with the fact that He's going to run down balls in the gaps and get to get to certain balls that other other guys aren't going to get to. I, I think we'd all agree if Trey Mancini had played with Mullins. Remember, they've never really played together because Trey was up in the majors last year. He was m- more advanced than Cedric. I think he backs off of that ball and lets Cedric catch that ball mm-hmm. off the bat of I think it was Moreland in the. Uh, four, Sixth inning. Sixth inning, Sixth, right. uh, Fifth inning. It was the fifth yeah, okay, inning. Okay, yeah, yeah, fifth inning. Yeah. What do you think of that, uh, Steve? Well, I just think uh, just the, what, the, the, what the young player brings to the team, it just it gets everybody up a notch or two because they see the excitement and the enthusiasm of the new guy in center field, and it just makes everybody play better. And, and you saw that in the beginning of the game as the team was doing normal things for a while. But, uh, you know, the pitching is a real – question right now and uh and that's something they'll figure out after they let all these guys wear themselves in or out of the lineup by the end of the year you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean well i'm thinking in terms of the rotation and i'm kind of looking ahead to next year i'm i'm almost to the point of of giving cobb uh and cashner a little bit of a pass right now they've shown signs of being good at times but more often than not not what the Orioles had hoped for once they got them signed. I'm thinking a full spring training for both of them will will really behoove the Orioles and, and yeah, make I think them will, better, better pitchers. Yeah. I think the only surprise would be if they would get overwhelmed in some type of trade offer mm-hmm. for either one of them in the offseason or they Winter package or some, something, something yeah. like that. Uh, you know, I think they would give them up. Real quick, before we let you go, Steve, because uh, we got Jim Henneman, we actually have the right phone number on the <laughs> on the sheet to, this week. Um, Dylan Bundy, including last night, I've got 30, 30 and a third innings 
and I count up 26 earned runs since he came back from the injury in Atlanta. Uh, what do you see with him? I just don't see the same picture. You just, it just you can see so much by facial expressions when they're in the game, and his he just doesn't look like he's relaxed or content out there. He just doesn't feel comfortable. I don't know. Uh, he just doesn't look comfortable at all out there, and, and I don't think he feels that he has the command of his pitches that he wants to have when he yep. decides to throw something. Well, so, I think uh, I think part of that too, with coming off the injury, like you said, Stan, is the. I think mechanically he's a little messed up as well. Yeah. That's probably yeah, I don't a think he's been right since he hurt his ankle in uh, in that ball game, you know. But uh, Dylan is one of these guys. I, I think his history is not to tell you that he's injured that much, you know, unless it's really severe. And I'm sure the ankle isn't hurting him, but it's certainly bothering him because this is not the Dylan Bundy we had grown to uh, expect performance-wise. I can't think of a, a body part. Besides the arm, that can be more important than the ankle when you're pitching, though. You're coming down and putting all the pressure on that part of the body, and it's very important for the field comfortable. Yep. So if that's bothering him, that could be the maybe the, the winter conditioning and getting him back to normal. Maybe next spring he'll be back to the same person. Wait, wait a minute. Craig Heist is smiling. He's got something funny to say. No, I'm just going to say, <laughs> when you said I don't think of another body part that's more important, I was just going to, Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, we're, we're we're talking we're talking about as an athlete. Uh, well, <laughs> you're talking okay. you're talking about apples and oranges, keep, keep, and he's talking he's talking digging. dirty. He's keep, talking keep dirty. Keep digging there. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> hey, Steve Garland, many thanks. Uh, we'll we'll reach out to you until you're back to work. All right. Hey, sounds great, Stan. You guys have a great weekend, and maybe tonight we can pull off a win. Wait, one last second. So what's the Bay Bridge traffic report? Yeah, we <laughs> forgot all about that. Hey, the Bay Bridge traffic has a, a, a only a half a mile back up going eastbound right now, and and things are not bad going westbound. So, But that can change quickly. So just make sure they anybody's head this way, they call, look up the toll-free number, and the, the message is on there. Every They change it every minute to update what's going on. All right. The only time it's ever bad westbound is because you're coming from the eastern shore back home. That's when it's really bad because you never like yeah. to leave the ocean. You never right. like to leave the shore. Right. All right. Yeah, because, you know, this is a better side of Maryland, so you guys will <laughs> uh, figure that out. They used uh-huh. to have bumper stickers. You know, it said there is no life west of the Chesapeake Bay. I like yeah, that. Right. I like that's that. That's right. How's business at uh, Big Bats? They had a good week this week, so everything's going well, and uh, hopefully it continues. Uh, so you're not as important with the Ravens. So you're not as important as you thought you were. Well, I am important, but <laughs> not as important as I thought it was. Yes. All right. Hey, thanks hey, a have lot. Have a great Steve. day, guys. Thank you, Steve. There you go, Steve Bye-bye. Garland, uh, owner of Big Bats, <laughs> and we're gonna go right through to Jim Henneman. We'll take our first break when Henny finishes with us, and uh, dial those digits very carefully this week. So nervous. Brittany, so nervous. Brittany, do not let him I'm, I'm make not, anybody think that that was your fault I last week. I did not say it was her All fault. Right. I'm just nervous. Look, look, something happened. The phone is not working or something. She'll be fine. Yeah, I know Jim is not expecting to actually get a call on time nah. this week. Uh, the Orioles will play a doubleheader there at uh, Camden Yards this, uh, this afternoon yeah, and one, evening. 105 and 705. And uh, it'll be made for, especially if the forecast is going to 
come to fruition, we should get some rain throughout the uh, throughout, throughout the, the day. Throughout the day, and that's probably going to lead into a rain delay and just a longer day than what we would normally have. All right. Well, speaking of rain and clouds, uh, bringing in some <laughs> sunshine is Jim Henneman, a uh, longtime columnist for the Baltimore Sun. And uh, now with Press Box and also an official scorer at the Orioles games, Jim Henneman joins us. Jim, how are you? Well, I was pretty good until I heard high school talk about rain delays, and I'm getting ready to go work a doubleheader, so I don't think that's a really No, probably not. But you know what? You All you got to do is turn around to your right, Jim. <laughs> and and I'm right there behind you. I always you have literally your back. have your back. You literally yeah. have his yeah. back. I literally have his back, especially when he makes a scoring error. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does happen, Pacey. What can I tell you? Yeah, I know. You know, I I don't generally come up and question. I was sitting with your old friend Jim last night, uh, Ken Nigro. Oh, wow. And okay. I did not realize. I'm serious. I got to talking about age and. And Kenny says, I got a big birthday coming up. So, I mean, I've known Kenny a long time. I've known him like 35 years. So I go, you're going to be 70. He goes, no, up a little bit. And he says, it's a big birthday. I said, 75. He goes, up again. I said, he goes, October 23, I'm going to be 80 years old. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we headed with this one, Feisty? Well, we, you... I'll tell you where we were heading. We were <laughs> heading to official scoring. So he and I watched that inning unfold, and then Mark Jacobson, who does a really good job when you're not the official scorer, announces that all four of the Oriole runs are unearned in that inning, and Kenny and I are recreating the inning, and we're going oh, that one run should be earned. And I went up, and I, I've learned a long time ago never to go up and say, you're wrong. I asked the question, and he was pretty busy at the moment after the inning was over. But he goes, come on, give it to me. And I go, well, how I'm recreating the inning. He goes, where where would you place the base runners if Mullins' ball is – or uh, whose ball was it? Mullins – Caleb Joseph's yeah, is, is, uh, is an out. Where are you going to place the base runners? And he recreated the inning, and he explained it calmly to us. And Kenny and I both went, yep, he's right. All four were unearned. So that's where we were going with that. Uh, Yeah, it had nothing to do with official scoring and age. It had to do with me and Nigro not understanding totally, uh, you know, the the play. Yeah, sometimes those are a little tricky. But but generally speaking, yeah, there's sometimes when you got to go back and recreate the the inning. Yep. And then there's always, you know, when there's a day, say, well, suppose this had happened, there wouldn't have been an intentional walk. Well, no, you're right, but guess what? There was an intentional walk. The, so the, Jimmy, Jimmy how, much, how much does replay and your access to replay help you in a situation like that to kind of, as Stan says, recreate the inning? I mean, just by, by watching to see where a base runner is at that point? No. Well, the replay, I mean, replay comes into, comes into play uh, it is, a, is a great benefit that we didn't have all those years ago, but uh, it doesn't help much in recreating any because you know you can't go back and and, uh, and replay everything that happened. Plus, it doesn't always show you uh, positional runners, right? But you just have to. I mean, like on the play last night. To be honest with you, although I was watching the, I was watching the time. I think I walked away, and I really did not see the play. Uh, the, the, I did not see the ball drop 
in terms of hits. So yep. I really didn't think much about it. I mean, I you know, Mark, you know, he's not going to get those those things wrong, and I didn't I didn't even try to recreate the inning. But uh, the, the when you do that, you just basically have to go back and look at uh, and look at what happened and say, okay, well, when this play that this could have happened, this would have happened, this might have happened. Uh, but you, you, you know, you kind of have to use your own sound judgment in a lot of cases. And I the mean, key, it, the key in that situation was I had written down the base hit by Mullins as a, a single to right field. And when Kenny and I are talking about it, we go, well, wait a minute, he hits a single here. Davis would have scored anyway. So, but then, then rightly, Mark said, you know, if you recreate the inning there. That ball just barely got past Holt, who bobbled it. He retrieved right, yeah. the ball. Davis would have never scored. So, right. anyway. Uh, wanted to have you on not to talk about official scoring. Wanted to talk about another special visit you had in Cooperstown and what a special um, induction this was this year, Jim, uh, with so many big names. Yeah, I thought it was it was one of the better ones. that. Uh, well, I mean, the class alone was uh, – was exceptional, as, as we know, and and uh, you know the, the the four guys that went in, uh, you know there were there were no surprises there. The you know and then uh, and then with Trammell and Morris, uh, you know there's a you know those two guys were kind of always on the focus of some debate over the years. But beyond all that, uh, the, the the speeches were extraordinary. I mean yeah. I, that that's the best collection I think of the speeches that I've ever heard of the Hall of Fame, and I've heard a lot of good ones. Don't get me wrong. Yep. But, uh, this was a was a really special day. I mean, I had a when it was over. I, I said I really wanted to get a transcript of of Trevor Hoffman's speech. I was I wanted to see how many names he got into a, a twelve or thirteen minute speech. And somebody said I want to see how many words he got into twelve or thirteen. Right, he really and, moved pretty quickly. Oh my it. goodness! I mean, he he was rapid fire. I mean, he just uh, you know there wasn't even enough pause there in some cases that. Thing. I mean, he and he and it was very well de- delivered. I mean, it was, uh, uh, you know, he, he's an he's a change an off speed kind of a guy. But I'm gonna tell you something. This speech was was point on and uh, and yeah, there were no cha- there were no change ups in that speech. No, there were yeah. no. Uh, Jim, one of the things, and he got uh, an Oriole reference in by mentioning Mark Griffin, uh, Mike Griffin, the Orioles' uh, minor league pitcher, uh, pitching coach at Rochester who was instrumental in turning him into a pitcher from being an infielder, I believe. And, and you know, to be honest with you, I, I could, that, you know, he was so quick on that 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 completely, yep. completely overlooked that, completely. Yep. But you didn't overlook all the other mentions. It was really interesting for guys that, that their careers didn't really intersect with Baltimore all that much. Yeah. Baltimore sure got a lot of mentions, didn't it? They did, yeah. I mean, Chipper was uh, – Chipper was was very uh, complimentary of his pitching coaches, uh, and he only had he only had Don Baylor for one year. I think Baylor left after that year to go manage the Cubs. Uh, Donnie Baylor is a universally respected guy throughout baseball. I mean, yeah, he's a, and you know he played for a lot of different teams. He played for a lot of teams that won, uh, and he he only played here a couple of years, but he always considered himself a Baltimore Oriole. Yeah. And of course, uh, Vlad Guerrero mentioned it briefly, and Jim Tomey mentioned it briefly. Right. Yeah. Well, brief. Uh, Tomey did a, you know, I mean, he he uh, he, he touched on all his stops. Yeah. There wasn't any question about that, and uh, and did a, you know, and did a great job. It was a, you know, it, it was really a, 
uh, it was a, it was a lot of emotion, uh, and it was uh, to be honest with you, it, they they got through it a lot quicker than I thought they would. I thought this could have been a really really long induction, but uh, they were able to, to get through it, and uh, it was a reasonable amount of time. When you look at uh, you know that whole weekend in general, and, and you said like this time around was you know one of the better ones. Uh, I would think they're all special in their own way, uh, special, you know, depending on who, who's being inducted. But uh, what in your mind, Jimmy, makes a weekend like that special? I mean, just, I mean, the, the casual baseball fan, the fans of guys who are going in who are fans of the teams they played for, I know that makes it special. But is it just the camaraderie of the players? I, I think that that I think really you, you do hit on it there. Um, I mean, everybody has their own personal. I mean, you go up there for the first time for a reason, or or you give their you know your first time is always is always memorable. My first one was in '66, and it was Ted Williams and Casey Stengel. And I'm you know you know looking back on it at the time, I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, how, how are you going to top that? And uh, and and then it, it, it kind of mushroomed from there. I mean, I got to go when Kline went in. Uh, you know, when it was part of the ceremony when Brooks went in. Uh, you know, so one thing after another. But I do think that the one thing that you notice, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of guys uh, that I know when they went in. A lot of people wondered how how they would embrace the Hall of Fame or how the Hall of Fame would embrace them. That whether or not it would really impact them, and I think sometimes initially younger when they go in and they're younger, they don't quite realize exactly what it is. But uh, you know, for for one reason or another, uh, you just see that this is such an exclusive fraternity type thing that uh, uh, the guys really really buy into it. I mean, it's kind of uh, I know it probably sounds a little funny, but one of the people I did not get to go to, to Eddie's. Hall of Fame induction for one reason or another. I don't even remember why. Um, but I kind of get a kick out of seeing how, uh, I mean, he, he's there and he's there any time that they ask him to go. He loves to go up there. You can, you can just read it. You can tell it. And uh, he's one of those guys that, and, you know, Brooks still goes back. Uh, you know, Al goes back. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a fun weekend. I just think they enjoy that time together. I mean, I think they understand that they're part of something that's really special. We're talking with Jim Henneman. Jim, a longtime writer for Press Box, and prior to that, the Baltimore Sun. Prior to that, the News American. He's a tremendous baseball writer. Jim, uh, your thoughts on uh, Trammell and Morris, uh, when you reflect back on them and your history of voting, were they both Hall of Famers to Jim Henneman for a long time? I, I thought they were, but I also thought, and I also understood that that in some cases it's a tough sell. Um, you know, I, I I just get finished doing a piece I think for August for the August issue, but uh, you know, it, frankly, the Hall of Fame is a it, it is an offensive uh, it's it's an offensive resume that, that that gives you into the Hall of Fame for the most part. Right. And I think that a lot of times we look at a guy like Trammell um, and, and and the guy that he played next to, Lou Whitaker, and you look at them as as uh, as offensive-type players, which they were. But they're also middle infielders, which is a whole different skill set. And uh, sometimes that stuff is, is overlooked. I was always a big 
uh, a big trammel guy. Uh, he was a guy who could bet second, fourth, seventh, hit a home run, steal base. Uh, he was just a, you know, to me, he was the epitome of, of what a good shortstop would be. And, and he was in an era where there was a lot of good players. I mean, there was a lot of good uh, guys there. When Earl moved Cal to shortstop, one of, the, one of the things was he said, I probably ruined any chance he had to make an all-star team. Well, you know, which is, mm-hmm. as we all know, didn't quite work out that way. But at the time, Chandler and Yao were both playing shortstop. And uh, you're figuring, you know, how's he going to make the American League all-star team with those two guys there? So and and Morris, you know, I, you know, the biggest question about Morris is was his ERA is high for for a pitcher, but you know his numbers. Uh, I mean, and and I was kind of on the fence a little bit with 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 Jack, but you know, there's there are other things that that jump out at you. You know, this is a guy that pitched, you know, 230, 240, 250 innings every year. Yep. I mean, and and when you stop and think about it, his average number of innings pitched per year. Is going to be higher than some of these. Some future Hall of Famers are going to go in that are never going to pitch that high in any given year. And he, yeah. and he averaged it for a whole time. And I know you can't compare eras, and you're not you're certainly not going to be able to compare this era. I mean, we're getting to the point now where we're talking about 200 wins is going to be down the road. Is going to be enough. Uh, you know, is, you're going to see a lot of guys going in with not a whole lot more than that. You know, which again shines more light on on Yusina. And guys like that, where you know, uh, Mike's only got a couple more years left on this bout, and I got to think that sooner or later, you know, his numbers. Uh, certainly, Morris's election, I think, uh, highlights uh, his candidacy a little bit. Too. I think I think Mike has. He's been there five years now, so he's got what another five years on the ballot. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he, and he. But it's one of those things that yeah. Well, he would under the thing. I I do wish that. I mean, not you know, I have very few calls with. with the decisions that the Hall of Fame made, but some, and sometimes they're just made for, you know, to, just to, to clarify things and make things a little bit simpler for everybody. But I wish that when they had changed the the wait period from 15 to 10, that they just had grandfathered everybody in. That was that it started right. out with a 15 year waiting period and just kept it that way for everybody. But uh, uh, you know, I think it'll work out. I mean, I, I, yeah. down the road, I just I, you know, I just hope that. Uh, I hope that a guy like Mike doesn't have to wait for a veterans committee to. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think that's going to happen. He it, was at sixty-two percent of the vote trending, last year. It's, it's really trending, trending. It's trending nicely for him now. Trending but, good, but you know that those things sometimes sometimes they stall too, and yeah. uh, and then, you know depending on the ballot. Now the ballot cleans up, you know, clears up a little bit in a couple more years. I mean, there's still, you know, we still got some guys. You know, I mean, Mariano's coming up this year, and Jeter the following year, and and that those are only one. But you know they still are going to dominate the bat. The bat. Yeah, right. Uh, hey, well, the one the one thing with Mike is the fact that I think what's helped him more than anything else over the last two years, anyway, is the Saber Matrix people are really catching up, catching though. up, and be and really behind him now, as opposed to all of the people that used to say, "Well, he never won twenty until he won twenty his last year." You know, never won a Cy Young, this and that, and everything else. Now, but I think. You're looking at the pure numbers, and everybody's kind of looking and saying, "Yeah, this guy's worthy." Well, I, I don't disagree with that. I see, but you know, it, it kind of bothers me when 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 I when I hear people say that all of a sudden the sabermetrics people are behind this guy. I, I don't get it. What? I mean, I'm not going to say I'm not a sabermetrics guy, but those numbers that he got, I mean, I classify as an old timer to, yeah, to them. Yeah, yeah. But you know, 
I, I didn't need any. I don't need any sabermetrics to tell me that this guy was a Hall of Famer. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I don't. And, well, uh, I didn't either. That's yeah. for sure. And and, and the and the other thing you got to get back to the twenty win thing, and I still you know to this day it still bothers me, but but I I don't forget the, you know the stupidity of of him <laughs> his own fault uh, letting somebody convince him I won't throw the name out there that he had to go hit a guy like Bill Hasselman because he hit a home run off of him in an eight to two game yep. and yep. cost him a twenty win season. If you would have won twenty games, he would have won twenty games a lot sooner than he did. No, oh, yeah. He could he could he could have done that about uh, probably three or four other times too. I mean, yeah. you think of the strike year in '94, and he has 16 wins on the 12th of uh, 12th yep. of August when the strike comes, and he yeah. doesn't get a chance to finish the year out. Hey, Jim, yeah. we've got we've got Jeff Idelson coming up in a few minutes, and I wanted to tee something up for you. Just your thoughts. I know it's a different sport. But can you imagine anybody getting into the baseball Hall of Fame? Be it the first, the second, the second time through, the eighth time through, the twelfth time, not showing up in Cooperstown like Terrell Owens in football. Oh, I'm not going to get into that. I, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, no. I, I mean, to answer the question, I'd say, I'd say no. But yeah, uh, you know, to me. You know, that situation, and like I said, I don't want to get into it, but here I am getting into it. That way to go. I knew you'd get into uh, it. <laughs> the, here's, the, here's the thing. If anything else, it just highlights the fact that just because it's not the first year or second year or third year doesn't diminish the fact of what happens. And it doesn't mean that you, you, you have to get somehow get better. It just It just means that. Sometimes the class is different. Sometimes the, the 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 numbers are stacked against you. Sometimes, and that's why it, that's why it works that way. I mean, not you know th- th- there may be you go back and look and say here's here's a particular the voting class where there was like ten or fifteen guys that were eligible at one time who were in the Hall of Fame, but obviously they can't all go in at the same time. So you know it, it, it's just a question of, of numbers a lot of times. And I mean I don't know what you know Terrell's problem was, but you know, he, yep. hey, listen, maybe he, he probably was deserving of being a first ballot guy. Yep. But I just think at, at some point, anything. at some point in time, yeah. I think he'll regret his decision. Yeah. Jim, thanks. Uh, we'll see you out at the ballpark in a little while. Okay. Well, you you get the big heavy hitter come from the Hall of Fame coming on now. Just uh, he's done a great job up there. He's uh, fantastic. He's, he's, always look forward to seeing him, and always look forward to talking to him. He's great, great for baseball, yep. and he's been great for the Hall of Fame. Jimmy, bring Fun. your umbrella. All right. Yeah, thanks a lot. <laughs> All, right. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. See you shortly. All right, let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar before we get Jeff Idelson on. 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down or back to or from the Eastern Shore, no place better to stop, relax, and eat some great sports bar grub, whether it's sandwiches, salads, soups, or subs. You can do it all there at Big Bats. And you can watch your favorite team, the O's, the Nats, the Wizards, the Caps, the Ravens, the Redskins. Uh, It's all there for you. It's simply a great sports bar. Big Bats down in Stevensville, Maryland. Go sit on a base.
Ironbirds fans, make your way to Lido's Field at Ripken Stadium on Saturday, August 25th as your Ironbirds take the field as the Star-Spangled Banners of Aberdeen to face the Staten Island Yankees on Opioid Awareness Night presented by Lido's. Come see the world's best extreme pogo entertainment as the ex-pogo stunt team performs throughout the game. Enjoy the number one rated fireworks performance in Northeast Maryland postgame. Visit ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-9292 to secure your Ironbirds experience. It's Toyota's National Clearance Event at Jerry's. The absolute best time to buy a new Jerry's Toyota. Right now, Jerry's has new Toyota RAV4s with 0% financing available or 3000 cash back. New Toyota Camrys from $149 a month at Jerry's or $1,000 cash back. Plus, every new Toyota comes with Jerry's exclusive extended service care. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or visit jerrystoyota.com and unlock your special price. Special financing and lease with approved credit cash back from Toyota and August 27th. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. Our buddy Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has sweetened the menu with the Summer of Peach, featuring a chili and delicious white peach tea lemonade that combines tea and lemonade with fresh white peaches. Many of us were already mixing tea and lemonade, while Chick-fil-A added the extra twist of an essential summer taste, peach. Visit the official Glen Clark Radio Chick-fil-A store on Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham Square. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. The latest edition of PressBox is available now, and it's a very special double issue celebrating Ray Lewis's journey to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We spoke to the friends, family members, and former teammates and coaches who knew him best to tell the story of the path to his induction into Canton this summer. PressBox is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, which includes all 52 interviews with those closest to Ray at PressBoxOnline.com. We are back. Stan the fan along with Craig Heist. And uh, all right. Looks like we are making our connection all right, with Jeff Idelson, mm-hmm. who I, um, I gave a demotion earlier. I called him director of communications for the Hall of Fame. And I apologize because Jeff Idelson is, in fact, the president of the Hall of Fame. And that is our friend Jeff Idelson. Jeff, you're on with uh, Stan the fan and Craig Heist. And uh, you're following somebody who's a um, one of the best baseball writers around, still at the age of like 81 or 82, Jim Henneman, and he says to say hello to you. Oh, Henny's the best. It's good to be with both of you, and uh, you work 
you work Jim in with you guys, and you've got the uh, triumvirate in Baltimore. So pleasure to be with you this morning, guys. Uh, Jeff, I got to tell you, though, I work and have worked for the last 10, 15 years with a guy who you know from down here, and that's George Wallace. And I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how I can get one of those private tours to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to show up. Well, When's the last time you were in Cooperstown? Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sounds passive to me. You come on right. up and I'll be happy to take you behind the scenes, Craig. Thanks a lot. Hey, Jeff, Jeff I'm going to start with you where I finished with with uh, Jim Henneman. And I asked him, I said, I'm going to tee this up for you. Can you imagine a baseball player, whether deserving of a, being a first ballot Hall of Famer or not, getting in on the third time or fifth time or veterans committee, turning down the, the induction ceremony. Can you imagine that like Terrell Owens in, in football? Well, you know, it's, it, it, what, what is really sad is that uh, I don't, I don't know Terrell Owens and yep. I don't know uh, anything about how he's wound, but it's mostly sad for Cowboys fans, for NFL fans you know, at the end of the day, it's going to be sad for him because it's going to be very hard to go back there in a subsequent year and look your fellow Hall of Famers in the eye and explain to them why you weren't there. Yeah. Jim, the way Jim described it, he says it's it's this, this ultra-focus or uber-focus on if I don't make it the first time, I'm somehow being slighted, that the honor is still the honor. Right. And, you know, I'm a big believer in controlling what you can control and you can't control the voting. You had your playing career, it finished, you know, maybe you deserve to be a first ballot inductee, but it didn't, you know, the cards didn't come out that way. And you shouldn't penalize Cowboy fans, NFL fans, and the football hall of fame by making it your personal agenda. Yeah, You know, I always think back to Robbie Alomar with that, Jeff, and that's the fact that, you know, obviously everybody holds the spitting incident when he was with the Orioles in 96 against him. But if there was ever a first ballot Hall of Famer, to me, it was Robbie Alomar. <laughs> right. And, and, and as you guys know, you've both been to Cooperstown. When you walk through the, the, uh, the gallery of plaques, there's no identification as to what ballot you were on. And right, exactly. uh, if you're among the 1% to make it to Cooperstown, to make it to the Hall of Fame, uh, whether it's justified or not, being there is incredibly sweet if you're an inductee. And, you know, Jimmy Henneman goes up there all the time, and he's only missed a few in the years that I've known him. Uh, but, but the one thing I did ask him, and maybe you can either verify this or just corroborate is the fact that what makes that weekend so special is really more than just for the fans and everything else. It's the camaraderie and the, and, you know, just the, the camaraderie and the fact that all these hall of famers have one thing in common and that's that they all played the game and they all love the game. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, baseball breeds family like nothing else. I know all sports are, are like families, but when you, uh, you know, the proof in the pudding is 57 Hall of Famers in one place at one time, a record as we had last weekend in wow. Cooperstown or two weekends ago. And then you add to that 53,000 fans mm-hmm. uh, making their way there, uh, far exceeding any expectations we may have had. It just shows you how you're right. It is, it is, it is a reunion for the players. They love being together and the managers and umpires and executives. And for the fans, there is that relationship with the game and the players, especially these guys that said, Hey, let me come on out and say, thank you. Jeff, what goes into the decision by players to come up there each year to return? They all probably have an invite that they're welcome at any induction, but how come some players will come every single year 
and some will maybe come every fifth year. But it's very special to all of them, isn't it, to come back? It is. It really is, Stan. I mean, if you look at the percentage of Hall of Famers who come back, we only have 76 living, and to have 57 there is a massive, That's massive it. number. People have lives and schedules, and there, and then you have health issues at times and uh, broadcasting and things like that. But uh, guys love coming back. They love the specialness of the weekend. They're in such a small fraternity. And the common thread among them is that they were all great at what they did. They're similarly wound in that it's uh, confidence over arrogance. And being together makes them feel very special, and they love Cooperstown. I know you get a chance to listen to talk radio from time to time and listen to the arguments about maybe who should get in, who shouldn't get in. And regardless of when, it, if, if it happens this, this year or next year or a couple of years down the road, I think he's got five years still left on the ballot. I am definitely coming to Cooperstown when Mike Messina goes in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> uh, you know, you look at you know Moose's career, and it was uh, it was a quiet. Yeah, it's kind of in a lot of ways, it's like these guys who just fly a little below the radar. I mean, Hank Aaron never had more than forty homers in the season, and I hard to say Hank Aaron flew below the radar. But I guess what I'm saying is, is when you you were as good for as long as as, as Mike was, and consi- as consistent as he was. You know, he certainly makes him a uh, a candidate worth discussing for the Hall of Fame. The 270 wins, and you know, to be born in Williamsport or right next to it, and have a chance for Cooperstown is a uh, uh, pretty symbolic and pretty special. Jeff, how much do you think, uh, as the game has changed and evolved, and there's much more attention to the you know the analytics and the saber matrix and things of that nature? How much do you think, one, that's probably helped Mike here in recent years? I think he had 62% of the vote last year. Uh, but, but also not just Mike, but some other guys that you might not think originally maybe had a shot at it. I think it helps. I think it's a part of the equation. I think it shapes the thinking to a degree. And as the voting body uh, continues to get younger, which is natural as, as uh, younger writers uh, suddenly become eligible to vote, you know, you have a larger group of an electorate using more modern uh, metrics. And for, you know, guys that uh, didn't put up the uh, black ink test, so to speak, as uh, my friend Bill Madden calls it with lots of leading the league uh, categories, but put up a great body of work, it gives those guys a better shot. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Jeff Idelson. He's the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're very thankful of his coming on the program this week. Uh, we try and have him on whenever we can grab him. Uh Jeff, uh, next year, uh, well, actually, I want to stick with this year. Is, is this year the combined class perhaps as good as it gets since the since the hall opened, uh, you know, well, collectively? You, Stan, every, every class is special. I mean, to make it to Cooperstown is just unbelievable. But uh, the six, six guys who went in this year really brought a, a, a unique fan, a set of fans to Cooperstown, which was great. I mean, you had yep. – you know, you had, you had Morris and Trammell going in, the first true full-time uh, Tiger, so to speak, since K-Line in the 81. And, you know, of course, Sparky and Jim Bunning have gone in since then. But for Detroit, it was a renaissance. Mm-hmm. You have Vladimir Guerrero, who draws from Montreal and, 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 a, and a ton of fans from the Dominican Republic. Chipper Jones, incredibly popular in Atlanta. Uh, Jim Tomey, popular in two regional markets, uh, you know, Philadelphia and, uh, and Cleveland. 
And then you get Trevor Hoffman. And we always, uh, the, the fans in San Diego are always very supportive. So 53,000 people coming to a town of 1,800 mm. must speak to the specialness of the class. And uh, <laughs> uh, for the fans who are there, they were treated to an incredible induction ceremony. The only thing I can think of is the line, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> no, in Cooperstown, it's, hey, come park on my lawn for hey, 20 bucks. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, Jeff, um, we're talking to you uh, a year out from uh, – one, one of the greatest pitchers that's ever pitched in, in the game of baseball, albeit a relief pitcher. It's going to be pretty special when Mariano gets in there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the crystal ball uh, kind of lets you think he'll probably make it. It took Trevor a few ballots, but Mariano, of course, his numbers were just off the charts, and uh, he was just an A-ball when I was with the Yankees. He, was, uh, he had undergone some – I remember he had undergone some shoulder surgery – off season, and I remember working with Buck Showalter, who was our manager at the time, to sure. send Mo a note of encouragement and tell him not to give up. And uh, I think Buck played an instrumental role uh, early, early in, in Mariano's career. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the second Panamanian after Rod Carew and the guy who uh, New York just adores. It'll be big next summer. Got to ask you about uh, not a player, but uh, one of the most special media figures in the history of the game went in this year, Bob Costas. How special was it for Bob Costas to get the honor this year? Yeah, Bob winning the Frick Award was great, and uh, he was so pleased and so excited. And we think about him for his Olympic coverage and you know his just multitude of abilities in all sports. But baseball's number one in his heart, and I know that uh, his winning the Frick Award meant more to him than pretty much anything. Twenty-eight Emmys, I think he's won, mm. and uh, you know he. Uh, that's twenty. That's twenty-eight. To Jeff. Love. Jeff, that's 28 more than Craig or I have won. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's certainly deserving he won the award, and uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful speech he gave on Saturday at the awards presentation. How do you look, Jeff, at, uh, and I know you're not a voting member per se, but how do you look upon the changes in the game? We were just talking to Jim Henneman, whereas that 300 figure for wins used to be sort of a, an easy landmark for people to say, well, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, with the way the game is shifting, are we looking at maybe 200 or 225 being that landmark in the next few years? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think 300 and just below it in that range is still is still a benchmark. I think down the line, you know, maybe 10 years from now, 15 okay. years from now, you'll be looking lesser as yeah. the game has changed so dramatically. And, uh, you know, and you have the advent of the bullpen. And, you know, there may be days when you start to see middle relievers get uh, some consideration. That I think you're still a ways away from that, but the game is changing, and I think you'll see the Hall of Fame reflect and change with it, you know, in the next 10, 20 years. And a guy who has now won 246 games, the big sexy, Bartolo Colon, all of a sudden his name comes up in that conversation quite a bit now. Yeah, well, he's certainly been entertaining for a long time, and that's an awful lot of wins, and to – you know, lead your country in victories is special. Oh, yeah. And to lead uh, Latinos, all the Latinos, uh, means that you've done something right for a long time. But, uh, you know, this guy might pitch till he's 60, so who knows? <laughs> Jeff Idelson is with us, the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, it took Jack Morris and uh, Alan Trammell, the, uh, the Veterans Committee. Could you talk about the role of the Veterans Committee? Who's on that committee and when do they meet? How often do they meet? How does that process work? Yep. Yeah, Stan, those, com those committees rotate every year. So, uh, you know, the, who serves on them changes every year and what eras are looked at change. So, you know, last year, 
uh, with Alan and uh, Jack, they were on the uh, uh, you know veterans committee that looked at modern baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, the committee this December will look at today's game, which is 1988 to forward. Uh, so the m- much more recent uh, managers, umpires, executives, and players. And that committee hasn't even been formed yet. So it changes every year. You just mentioned a word in there that uh, I, I don't know who I, – I honestly don't know this. How many – umpires are in the baseball hall of fame and are they well are they underrepresented jeff well you know it's tough to say i mean umpires the best umpires you never hear or see and um there are a lot of great ones that have come through and it's only 10 umpires in the hall of fame the last one to earn election was doug harvey uh uh, nestor shylock in the american league so it's it's few and far between when an umpire gets the nod bill haller should be in just for his earl weaver video (laughs) <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, it's in the museum anyway. There you go. <laughs> Jeff, um, we will always try and grab you. When I think of having you on, it seems like every year I go, darn it, the Hall of Fame's like the induction is in two weeks. This year I thought about you right afterwards, and I got to tell you, your assistant, Craig uh, Mutter, does an incredible job, an incredible job yeah. at getting back and treating everybody with respect in terms of returning phone calls and emails. That's great. Great to hear, Stan. Craig's a wonderful colleague, and uh, that's he, he sort of is <clears throat> uh, like sort of a beacon for how, how all of our staff functions. And, uh, you know, it's making sure that everyone's taken care of is most important, having an exceptional time when they visit Cooperstown or interact with us. Tell uh, our listeners uh, here or folks that are watching on Facebook Live, it, is there any bad time to come up to Cooperstown? I'm, I'm being sort of facetious, but it's open all year long. <laughs> Um, you know, what's the best time in your opinion to visit Cooperstown other than induction weekend? Well, Stan, Stan, we are open the year round Christmas, New Year's and Thanksgiving days are the only three days we're closed. We're driving distance from Baltimore and, uh, this, you know, the spring, summer, fall is beautiful winter. You take your chances with the snow, but it's most quiet in the winter. And, uh, I think if you're a fan of springtime temperatures or you like the falling leaves and foliage, you look towards the early fall and certainly beautiful. You can bring your golf clubs, do some boating. Opera's there, a couple other museums. It's a great place to come visit. You know, uh, how many years have you been in Cooperstown now working at the hall? Stan, I just just finished my 25th induction, so I started on induction day 94. Wow, wow. Did you ever, did you ever envision when you got into the game of baseball being part of the Hall of Fame and living up there? Never did. I mean, you know, I grew up in, uh, I grew up in New England and in New England, you go North and South, you don't go East and West. Yes. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to work, you know, in, in baseball for eight years and thought I'd come to Cooperstown for a year or two. And 24 years later, 25 on the doorstep, uh, I'm still here. Remarkable career. Jeff, we really appreciate your coming on and spending some time with us. All right, Stan. All right, Craig. Good to be with you. Have a wonderful day. All right. Well, tell Jim Henneman, you said hello. All right, there you go, Jeff Idelson of the Baseball Hall of Fame. That's remarkable. I thought he'd been there like 14 or 15 years. It's, it's remarkable, and, you know, I get to see he's a great guy, and I get to see him at, you know, postseason events, that kind of thing, all-star games, he'll show up, and every now and then he'll visit your ballpark during yep. the regular season. And uh, he's just a very special person. I, I like Jeff a lot, and I do. I m- meant what I said. His assistant. I mean, I must have emailed him, you know, and, and I got back like an email like later that day, 
And at one point, he was returning the email so quick. I said, did you ever work at Jimmy John's where they're freaky fat? <laughs> and he said, no, but I did work at McDonald's, <laughs> and I remember that, that aspect of fast food. Well, what's great about the Baseball Hall of Fame is you can go up there one year and then maybe not go back for five or six more years, and, and things change so much with it because there's – New exhibits, they've changed things up in the layouts, and some of the videos have changed. Uh, it's, it's really, and, and I'm guilty of this because I haven't been in, I know it's been 10, 15 years, so i, I got to get back up there again. You know, the time for you to go up, though, is an off time. You know, you're yeah. never going to get up there during the uh, induction during, no. t- time. Well, I will make, uh, I will make special arrangements if, if, Mike 30, Mussina, if, if 35 goes in. I understand that. Uh, the latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a very special double issue celebrating Ray Lewis's journey to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We spoke to the friends, family members, and former teammates and coaches who knew him best to tell the story of the path to his induction into Canton this summer. Press Box is available for free at all over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. I just want to remind folks that this issue is only on the stands a couple more days. If you look around, the street boxes are pretty empty, uh, but you can read all about Ray Lewis in our special edition. If you go to pressboxonline.com, up at the top, it'll say in print. You click it, and there's your issue of Pressbox. All right, we are going to continue in just a moment. Do we have commercials to play, young lady? Okay, we're going to be back in just a moment. Uh, with Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader. I'm excited to tell you about one of our newest partners, Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. What are they all about? Well, this is very cool. You can link together events from across the sports landscape into one comprehensive fantasy pool. So let's just say you're like us. Maybe you're playing a World Cup pool right now. You want to keep that fun going with your friends after the World Cup is over. Maybe you do a football picks pool that you loop together, and that fun continues throughout the course of the year. Start a league today. Invite your friends. Single event leagues are free. Multi-event leagues are just a flat four. 99 fee for the entire league not per person just 499 there's plenty of competitions that loop league has i mentioned the world cup football picks it continues mlb playoffs they'll be doing stuff like that i mean they even do ufc fights but if you've got an idea for something that you want to do you can tell them at loop league on twitter and they'd be willing to consider it they've got 21 events on the platform right now with more coming this is something that was started by local guys it's extremely cool loop league find them at loopleague.com Our buddy Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has sweetened the menu with the Summer of Peach, featuring a chili and delicious white peach tea lemonade that combines tea and lemonade with fresh white peaches. Many of us were already mixing tea and lemonade, while Chick-fil-A added the extra twist of an essential summer taste, peach. Visit the official Glen Clark Radio Chick-fil-A store on Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham Square. Ironbirds fans, make your way to Lido's Field at Ripken Stadium on Saturday, August 25th as your Ironbirds take the field as the star-spangled banners of Aberdeen to face the Staten Island Yankees on Opioid Awareness Night presented by Lido's. Come see the world's best extreme pogo entertainment as the ex-pogo stunt team performs throughout the game. Enjoy the number one rated fireworks performance in Northeast Maryland postgame. Visit ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-9292 to secure your Ironbirds experience. 
KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash Sports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. In the market for a used car? Stop. Stop looking at used cars and go buy a new Mitsubishi from Jerry's. New Mitsubishis are more fuel efficient and they come with a 100,000 mile powertrain warranty. During Jerry's model year-end sale, new Mitsubishi Mirages start from only $9,300. Or check out the hot new 2018 Mitsubishi Eclipse Cross, loaded with tech. And it comes with all-wheel control starting at $21,000. Visit Jerry's Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and jerrysmitsubishi.com. Prices plus tax tags and freight. Sale ends August 27th. All right, we are back on the battle round on this Saturday morning. On what might be my last show. <laughs> nah, luckily the mics were muted. Uh, okay, good enough. All right. We were talking about birds in hand. Uh, and the Orioles uh, had, I thought they had a bird in the hand last night. Uh, with an eight to four lead with Dylan Bundy on the mound. Yeah, but, but the other birds couldn't throw strikes. No, that's that's true. Joining us now is a, a, a terrific guy, number one, and number two, a terrific writer, and that's Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Un- New Hampshire Union Leader. Hey, Mike, um, we've had you on a few times since the book came out, but we've never since we're here in Baltimore, we've never spent a lot of time talking about the hometown team. Uh, but I understand, I think it's already on its second printing. Uh, we know we talked to some Red Sox fans. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book and how you got chosen to be a part of the book. Well, first of all, the thing that I was wondering about is if the Orioles would have scored in the ninth inning again last night, would they have gone for two or would they have taken the tie? Yeah, I think they would have gone for the Rouge. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. Well, Rouge would have just tied it. But anyway, as, as far as the uh, as far as the book is concerned, Steve Babineau is is probably the foremost uh, sports photographer in the Boston area, and he had done he is he's been the uh, Bruins photographer for four four decades, and uh, came out with a he did a book called Black and Gold, which was a, a history of the Bruins, which was um, which was updated when they won the cup. In, in eleven, and um, I, I would I would arrive at TD Garden early uh, for games, and Steve was always there. He had done four decades of the Red Sox too, as well as um, being the Fleer baseball card photographer. In fact, took the infamous Billy Ripken. Uh, oh, he took photo. the Billy Ripken the with the yes, bat. He did. Yep, yep, and and it and it slipped through somehow. I don't know how, but uh, <laughs> this is. This is something that's going to go down with the Malcolm Butler not playing in the Super Bowl thing. We'll never get the true story about what happened. Right. But right. Uh, Steve was telling me, he says, you know, I got boxes and boxes of slides and photos, because and, back then you, you used film and not digital like it is now. He says, I really want to do a book. And I had, I had done some work with Skyhorse Publishing, and, and I knew that he needed somebody to write around the pictures. Mm-hmm. And... And uh, we just started this project, and, and um, 
so far, so good. You know, it's uh, second printing of the two words you want to hear. Yep. Whenever, whenever you do a book, and uh, it, it, listen, it's a, it's a coffee table type book, uh, like Kramer's on Seinfeld, except it doesn't turn into a coffee table. But it's, um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a book that I think every Red Sox fan should have because there's probably 500 pictures in there, and if you and if you're smart enough to not pay any attention to the writing, you'll, you'll absolutely love this book. And it is uh, it is only Red Sox photography. In other words, it's not the Bruins and the Patriots or right, the Celtics. Right. It's all baseball, and uh, you know, we've got some we've got some visitor, visiting players in the back. I did a short interview with with Jack Morris on the troubles that he had at pitching at Fenway, and and uh, the interesting thing he said was he says it's not the ballpark; it's the teams I pitched against. Yeah. So, uh, um, uh, so I talked to him. I talked to Paul Molitor uh, for a section in the back of the book, and we have we, we break it down in the into uh, franchise players and role players, and every every significant player has a uh, six or seven pages, but also has a full page of uh, a full page picture. Which, if you do buy the book and you run into one of these guys, there it's ideal for. Uh, for autographs. So, 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 so if yeah. somebody's, if somebody's listening to this on our website, pressboxonline.com slash radio or watching this morning on Facebook live, how can they order the book? Is it easy through Amazon? Yeah, it's through Amazon. Somebody told me that it, it, Target has it. Um, but Amazon would be, uh, would be the way to go. And it's, uh, uh, you know, you can have it. If you're a Red Sox fan, you can have it in your living room by, just the day after this series is over, and Lord knows you know, and, and, and let's be honest about something. When you put out a book, I remember I did a book on the New York Rangers several years ago, and they promptly had two very bad seasons. And <laughs> nothing, nothing hurts a book sale worse than that, but yep. nothing helps a book sale better than a team that's on pace to win 112 games. All right. We'll remind people of it all through the fall, too, because it sounds like a great Christmas present for uh, anybody that – Anybody knows that has a Red Sox connection or a, a love affair with the Red Sox. Uh, you had to chuckle at Jack Morris's uh, uh, remembrance of the first battery pitched to in uh, in his Hall of Fame career was Carl Yastrzemski. Uh, did you hear the speech? Uh, no, I didn't. As a matter of uh, fact, he, it was a game. He talked about he talked about how the first pitch was a perfect, uh, you know, like a slider right in on his hands, Carl Yastrzemski's hands, ball one. Then next pitch, cut the outside corner, perfect pitch, ball two. Third pitch, he lines it off the left field wall. You know, here's the thud, and Morris is kind of running towards second base a little, and out from behind the behind home plate is Ron Luciano. And he goes, he goes, that's Carl Yastrzemski. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. Welcome to the big leagues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh Long and distinguished career, and uh, you know, Morris was a guy that that I voted for steadily until he finally got in. I think people people overlooked the the number of big games that he pitched, and I was in the Metrodome the night that he, that he pitched that incredible ten inning uh, one nothing shutout game seven in '91. And uh, the guy was the guy was tough as nails. He wasn't he wasn't always the most agreeable person to chat with. Mm-hmm. He is now, but he wasn't then because he was such a uh, Competitor, and that was a very interesting uh, Tigers uh, clubhouse, you know, with Sparky. You, know, you had Sparky on one hand, and you had guys like Chet Lemon, who were just a pleasure, and 
and you, you know, you'd get up tomorrow, so you'd be grumbling and stuff like that. But it was, uh, it was a very, it was an eclectic group, sir. We're talking with Mike Shallon, Craig. Uh, last night, uh, down here at Camden Yards, uh, I guess when you look at this Red Sox team, and I and I may brought this up to Stan earlier, for as great an offensive club as they are, and yes, they have proven arms in the rotation. But to me, there's something still amiss about this pitching staff that I think when the postseason rolls around yeah. could be their Achilles heel. What do you think about mm-hmm. that? I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think that they're, you know, the bullpen the other night in Toronto, four, four different relievers gave up runs. Uh, um, I'm, not, I'm not sold on Kimbrell in those kind of games. But the thing is that if they, when they get Eduardo Rodriguez back and they get uh, perhaps even Stephen Wright back, they're going to have that Astros kind of flexibility where they can send starters to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. In the uh, and Pomerantz last night, as a matter of fact, first game in the in the bullpen wound up getting a win in that ridiculous game. So I think that they can probably get by. But you know, they also have a starting staff that does not have a postseason victory as a starting. Right. Wow! Pitch. Wow! Not a single member. And I figured it out last year. It was like zero and twenty-four. Price has two wins in the postseason, but both in relief. And, you know, until you prove it, Chris Sale has terrible numbers in August, September, and October. Uh, and he starts this August off by having to be on the disabled list. So it's something to keep an eye on. Now, that said, it's hard to outslug teams in the playoffs. But when you look at this, when you look at this lineup and, and the difference between the Red Sox and the Yankees is that these guys don't strike out. And, and they, they obviously they strike out, but not right, on the right. not at a level that the Yankees do. And traditionally, teams that strike out can be pitched to in games like that. Um, so you know, and then then you face the fact that they're probably going to play each other in the first round for the ALDS. So um, you, you don't know until it happens. But when you've got the top three in that order like they have, um, you know, I used to I used to call. Um, uh, Ortiz and, and Ramirez, the uh, you know Ruth and Gehrig. I I, I, never, I didn't I didn't think there was a one-two punch since Ruth and Gehrig that were any more potent than Ortiz and, and Manny Ramirez. When you look at the three guys at the top of this order, uh, Betts, Benintendi, and uh, and J.D. Martinez, who I think is the MVP, while everybody else thinks Mookie is, I think I'm going to fight losing battle about that because of the defense, but. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty tough, and then and then Moreland kills righties, and you've got Pierce who kills lefties, so that balances that that balances that it out at the top, and and they're they're awfully good. And you got to remember too, they've they've survived the the second base hole that was created yep. by Pedroia not coming back. Uh, Devers has been kind of a problem defensively, and hasn't had a really good year hitting, but he's still going to wind up with you know, thirty home runs. So it's it's um. It's a tough group. You've got an outfield defense that's outstanding, which is, which is always going to help you. Um, so, I, you know, you can't predict until it happens. And, and again, um, you look at the, at the playoff contenders and you look at Cleveland and Houston, uh, the, the, to me, the, the four best teams in baseball are still in the American League, mm-hmm. and, uh, especially now with the Dodgers losing Kenley Jansen for, for at least a month. So, it's going to be fun in October, no question. 
Talk a little bit about that, the acquisition, and it was done. It wasn't like right at the trade deadline. It was snuck in about two and a half, three weeks before the deadline. But Dave Dombrowski's pickup of Steve Pierce was an awfully shrewd move. It was, you know, and, and, and at the time, some of us kind of shrugged and said, well, he just, he just wanted to complete his uh, trip through the American League East. You know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, everybody knew at the time that he punishes left-handed pitching. And if you've got a guy who punishes left-handed pitching, especially at Fenway Park and some of the other cozy venues in the American League, um, it's going to work. Now, could Dombrowski have, have envisioned it being as good as it's been? That's that's a whole other story, but uh, yeah, I think he made I think he made several several shrewd moves. Uh, the the Evaldi thing, the, the game last night aside, he he looked real good his first two times out. Um, another veteran of the division, you know. I think that the interesting thing about some of these trades is that they were made with uh, looking at how these guys have done within the division. Mm-hmm. Half, half in New York has always pitched well at Yankee Stadium and pitched well against the Red Sox. So that was their reason for, for, for the Yankees picking up Jay Happ. So um, as far as Dombrowski's concerned, it was it was kind of an under-the-radar thing. And I don't think a lot of people in baseball said, oh, wow, the Red Sox got Steve Pierce. Uh, but sometimes journeymen like that tend to be a key in the postseason. Yeah, especially when their manager knows how to use them and listen – we had a guy. We had Pierce here. Uh, what well, we have him, Craig, three to- three different times or two different times. Three, three different. Three times. different times, and they tried to be cute. They somehow got to a hundred and sixty million dollar payroll, but couldn't figure a way to have him in there. He was a missing little ingredient here in Baltimore. Talk about it's interesting. I asked you about Pierce, and as you were answering about what a smart pickup it was. So what did they not see in Hanley Ramirez? In other words, what was the driving force behind that move? Well, you know, Hanley was on pace to drive in 90 runs. Yeah. And, and they will insist until, you know, hell freezes over that it had nothing to do with the contract. I, I got to think that, you know, they wanted Moreland to play more, yes. You don't know how Hanley's going to react if he's not playing every day. But he had that $22 million price tag hanging over his head for next year. For next if year, yeah. The, if he got the plate appearances, and you know he would have because he was on pace to drive in 90 runs. Exactly. Yeah, so I right. think they just made a move that they just decided, you know what, we can, you know, especially with the luxury tax situation, the way it is in baseball now, yeah. that they, uh, you know, they, were, they were just better off going at, going at it without him because right-handed bats, you know, look at Reynolds in, in, in Washington. Right-handed bats are always available. Yep. And it just they just figured that this was, I, let's put it this way, I don't think this move would have been made if that $22 million guarantee wasn't I, there for I, I hear you. I'd forgotten about that. It's funny. Because they can turn around and sign Pierce to a two-year contract for $10, $11 million, and they got that they they got that slot filled again for the next couple of years. Well, that's what they did with Marlon. They yep. gave him one year last year, yep. and then they signed him for two years. I think it's thirteen million this year. Yep. Which is uh, when you look at what he's done for this team, that's a bargain. We're talking with Mike Shallon, columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader, also uh, the the author uh, of the book, The Hometown Team, along with uh, what's the photographer's name, Steve? Steve Babineau. 
Steve Babineau, uh, a great coffee table book called The Hometown Team. Mike, let me ask you this. You've got a rookie manager up in Boston in Alex Cora. Dave Martinez in D.C., Aaron Boone in New York. Overall, the the whole idea of being a rookie manager with teams that are kind of built to win now, if you will, and I think you would agree that all three of those managers are in those situations, but for some reason Dave Martinez down here in D.C. has just kind of struggled with his team in terms of finding consistency. What do you think is the issue there? Well, I think injuries more than anything else. Um, you know, I'm, I was watching their game yesterday, and I noticed that Daniel Murphy has crawled up to 300. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. he's, he's, running, he's running on one leg. Uh, but you don't, you didn't have him for the first half of the season. You were missing Eaton. Strasburg, you know, spends more time on the disabled list than off of it. Um, I think that they made a, they made a may, have, may have made a mistake with Trinan as far as getting rid of him uh, for Doolittle. And now Doolittle's hurt. Um, they've had a lot of injuries, uh, and you know what? Dusty Baker's a pretty good manager. And, uh, no and, question uh, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 they talk about you know. Let, let's be honest. That the manager these days is, is all about the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And and the Yankees had a situation where Girardi supposedly didn't get along with the young players, uh, particularly Sanchez, because he was frustrated with Sanchez's pass ball. Well. Look what's happened to Sanchez since Girardi left. Mm-hmm. Right. Not only, he wasn't hitting, and now he's hurt, and he gets hurt again. He doesn't run, and blah, blah, blah. So, it, you know, Farrell won 93 games each of the last two years and won his division. Well, last year they, were, they had a David Ortiz hangover where, where this is why I think Martinez is the MVP. Yeah. Because the respect that, that Martinez uh, uh, produces out of that third spot in the order that's got to help the pitchers that Mookie Betts and, and Andrew Benatendi see. Without Ortiz last year, this team couldn't hit home runs. And now you've got a guy who's within, I believe, eight or nine points of the triple crown. And to me, if he doesn't get consideration for the MVP, if he's close to the triple crown, and he's clearly the difference. And Mookie hit 264 last year mm-hmm. and didn't drive in runs. And I, I really think that it had a lot to do with pitch selection. And, and the respect that a guy that a guy uh, uh, commands in the lineup, but Cora stepped into a situation where, you know, I'm not going to say I can manage that team, but <laughs> I could probably I could probably manage that team. We're talking with Mike Shallon. Mike, that's a great point. I'm in agreement with you. I think as great a year as Mookie has had, I think the big change in the overall lineup is JD Martinez in there, and it's amazing. I looked up at his numbers last night that came up on the board, 35 homers, 99 runs batted in when he came to bat. He's over 100 now. But 330, 397 on base percentage, and I'm going, we're paying Chris Davis roughly the same amount of money for four more years, and Chris Davis might have 35 runs batted in and 12 home runs. Well, you know, I mean, you look around baseball and, and uh, there's an awful lot of stupid general managers today because nobody wanted this guy yeah. and, and, and completely overlooked what he had done in a big ballpark in Detroit. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then when he went to Arizona, where he almost seemed like every other at bat, um, and the Red Sox got him as a bargain. And, you know, the contract is built so 
he can opt out after next year. He said he'd be willing to negotiate that out of his contract. But if he does that, you know, he's a Boris client. Yeah. So if he does that, he's going to get it for some real significant money. Yeah. And when you look at, I think he's at $20 million right now, which you hate to say it, but it's a bargain. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, how, how it, there are so many teams around baseball. Look, the, the Yankees could have signed him and not traded for Stanton. And 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 been on the cheap because they're yeah. twenty nine million. Great point. But, yeah, but nobody wanted him. Nobody wanted the it's, guy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It speaks volumes to how everything's changed with big time power hitters and the money that they think they're going to get in the off season in their walk years, and and now all of a sudden teams aren't aren't going in that direction. They're not paying them. Well, Davis Davis is the uh, is the antidote of, yeah. Uh, yeah. of big contracts for big slugging guys, but but JD has never struck out with anywhere near the ferocity of, of Davis. And, Correct. And, yeah. You know, the Orioles, and again, you know, the Orioles are guilty of doing something that the Red Sox have done over the years, and that was bid against themselves. Yeah. There's no reason to give him to give him that money. Now, hindsight again is twenty twenty. None of us thought that he would ever do this. And this is just yeah. This is know. off the charts. It yeah. spe- it speaks to the next question I wanted to ask you, and the last question I wanted to ask you today. About about five six weeks ago, Scott Boris came out and basically really tore apart the shifting in baseball, and he was doing it on behalf of one client, which was uh, Bryce Harper, and he was talking about how unbelievably unfair and prejudiced shifting is against left-handed power hitters. And you do look at a bunch of them and Chris Davis isn't the only one. He's also a Boris client, but Bryce Harper having a a terrible year. How much is shifting affecting some of these left-handed hitters? Well, it's funny. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day. who's probably the world's number one Yankee fan. He was talking about, you know, moving Andrew to first base and sign and and Duhar to first base and, and, play, and signing Machado right. to, um, uh, to play third. And I'm saying, doesn't that make them too right-handed? And he said, well, you know, the lefties are not hitting anymore because no. of the shift. It's interesting, and yeah. Now, Davis, Davis is a different kind of cat because he's hitting 80 points below Harper because he strikes out so much. Right. So, so that's, that's a different kind of thing. Harper started to hit since the All-Star break. Yeah, he's up uh, his average from 215 up to about the mid-230s. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's low, and it's the kind of thing they always talk about. Where you know, Ken Singleton always talks about it, where you gotta you gotta forget where you're at, and then think about where you can be the rest of the season. If you hit 300 the rest of the season, then you're you know you'll get it up to some respectability. And besides all this analytics stuff, now they tell you batting average doesn't mean a whole lot. So you know, Harper's still going to drive in 100, and yeah. and. Uh, He's playing center field. He's still the leader of that team, and I still, I still have a feeling that there's a uh, that there's a run in them. Yeah. That, uh, that something's going to happen with that Washington team. There's just too much talent there. Well, I'll get back to to Chris Davis for one second, though. The, the analytics can show one thing, but what's in somebody's head and heart is another thing. And I think what what's happened to Chris, I'm not blaming it entirely on the shift, but I think when you dig yourself a hole like he has. And he keeps looking up and knowing he's batting 150 instead of being hitting 220, maybe because yeah. of some of the shifting hits that are taken away, and he can't find hits. I think it doubled down on him pressing 
and that's something you can't quantify. I could be right, I could be wrong, but my gut tells me that when he looked up at those numbers, it, the pressure just kept building, and, well, uh, you know. Not only that, but let's, let's be honest. <clears throat> There's nobody else in that lineup you have to fear. Yeah. So if, if, I'm a, if I'm a pitcher, I'm not throwing him a fastball down the middle. Uh, there's, there's just no reason to let him beat you because he's yep. still capable of 400 feet on, in, in any of that. So it's a very difficult situation. They're stuck with the contract. The only way I can see them ever getting out from under it is if they eat the whole thing. Yep. And I, I can't see the you know, Angelos doing that. So it's, um, you know, it's tough to rebuild when you've got a $161 million albatross playing first base. Hey, before we let you go, we know you've been up in Boston a long time. We know you're originally a New Yorker, but uh, you watched Dan Duquette when he was general manager of the Boston Red Sox. Your thoughts on him as the right guy to architect a rebuild? I mean, I remember Dan Duquette as being a farm director in Milwaukee and a young assistant GM in Montreal, then the GM uh, you know, sort of rebuild might be right up his alley, really. Well, you know, there was there was a very successful team in Montreal, which I believe was his team, yep. if I remember correctly. Yep. Then, he comes, then he comes to Boston, and the team that won in 04 were made up of his players. Yep. So, so you know, I, I, I like Dan. You know, and I, I, Dan is, uh, he was, I think he's learned a lot. I really do as far as dealing with people. I mm-hmm. think he's, he's much nicer than he was when he was here. I think there was an awful lot of pressure on him. Uh, quite honestly, he didn't have much of a personality, yep. which I think you have to have in a market like this. As far as whether he's the right guy for a rebuild, you, you don't know until it happens. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, what, what financial restraints are going to be on him, how good are these, uh, you know, the – the kid they got from the Dodgers is supposed to be very good. They picked up what, about a dozen dozen minor leaguers, and I don't think they're done yet. I think there'll be more moves. Uh, you know, and and again, though, he's got a $161 million first baseman. Yep. Which, which, which he wouldn't have be. signed if it was left up to him. He would have never signed him. I know. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's, that's, that's going to be a problem. And you know, if you're going to go out and hire a guy for a rebuild, that guy's going to have the same albatross, right? So, so it's uh, you know it's going to be very interesting to see how they worm their way out of this because you're in a division where obviously the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to be good for a long time. Uh, Toronto has a rebuild, and so does Tampa Bay, but seem to have many good young players. Yeah, uh, um, you know, and so it's it, it, you could be looking at a long drought. But it's not like the Orioles haven't been through this before. You know, I, I heard somebody say a couple weeks ago, this is the worst Orioles team I've seen. I'm like, wait a minute, what about the 0-21? What happened there? You know, right. I mean, that, you know, that was 20 years ago this year, I think, right? It's, and, uh, it's th- How about 30 years ago? 30 years ago. 30 years right, ago. 88, yeah. yeah. And uh, they told me there'd be no math, so I, I didn't know. So, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a project. It really is. And, and um I hope Dan gets a chance to see it through. Yeah. I really do. I do, too. Uh, I do, too. I'm rooting for All right. Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader. Again, the uh, co-author, along with the photographer, Steve Babineau, of the hometown team. It's available on Amazon. 
about 500 Red Sox pictures. It's a, a book, a must-have book for Red Sox fans or, or friends of Red Sox fans to buy as a gift. Mike, thanks again for being on with us. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. All right. Hey, let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar. What do you like about Big Bats, Craig? Well, the, aside from the bases, the bases uh, are like you know seats. They're right. the bar stools. Yeah, but uh, two or three separate rooms that are theme rooms that have a bunch Is there of sports. A bird in the hand room? No, there's not a bird in the hand room, uh, and it's <laughs> that's the Stan <laughs> Charles room, by the way. <laughs> Uh, and, and you go in there, and there's a, an Orioles room in Don't there. Don't get me started with on the nothing time. but a bunch of old time Orioles memorabilia, yeah. pictures from the glory years, things of that nature. The food is fabulous. I mean, you, you know, you want anything, you can get anything. Seafood, uh, burgers, shakes, things Soups, of that nature. Sandwiches, Soups, sandwich, yep. yes. And if you're lucky, you run into Steve Garland there. It's Ken Island's. Original sports bar located 216 St. Clair Place. Again, if you cross the Bay Bridge going to the Eastern Shore, it's a first exit. Come up to Stevensville to stop sign, make a left, and it's right there about a quarter mile down the road. It's a little piece of sports heaven for you. We'll be right back with uh, Chelsea Janes in just a couple minutes of the Washington Post to talk about whether the Nationals have a run in them. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a very special double issue celebrating Ray Lewis's journey to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We spoke to the friends, family members, and former teammates and coaches who knew him best to tell the story of the path to his induction into Canton this summer. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, which includes all 52 interviews with those closest to Ray at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster. Wings, beer, sports. Available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts i'm excited to tell you about one of our newest partners loop league find them at loopleague.com what are they all about well this is very cool you can link together events from across the sports landscape into one comprehensive fantasy pool so let's just say you're like 
like us, maybe you're playing a World Cup pool right now, you want to keep that fun going with your friends after the World Cup is over, maybe you do a football picks pool that you loop together and that fun continues throughout the course of the year. Start a league today, invite your friends, single event leagues are free, multi-event leagues are just a flat $4.99 fee for the entire league, not per person, just $4.99. There's plenty of competitions that Loop League has. I mentioned the World Cup, football picks, it continues, MLB playoffs, they'll be doing stuff like that. I mean, they even do UFC fights, but if you've got an idea for something that you want to do, you can tell them at Loop League on Twitter and they'd be willing to consider it. They've got 21 events on the platform right now with more coming. This is something that was started by local guys. It's extremely cool. Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. This is former Terp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And welcome back to the Bat Around. Stand the Fan Charles. I am Craig Heist and uh, our next segment is with the beat writer of the Washington Post for the Washington Nationals and she is Chelsea Janes. And you gotta love Chelsea because when you go up to her on a Thursday and you're, you're kind of like you're holding your hands together and say, "Can you please come on the show at eleven thirty-five? Right. And then she agrees to it. You feel real good about yourself. Yeah. Chelsea, good morning. How are you? <laughs> good. How are you? We're feeling real good about having We're feeling, Chelsea. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, road trip didn't start the way they wanted to, and uh, that's a weird game yesterday because Jeremy Hellickson throws no hit baseball until two outs in the sixth inning, three straight walks, and then. Uh, they turned it over to the bullpen, and that didn't go well. What was the mood in that clubhouse yesterday after losing a game that, quite frankly, was in the win column and they should have taken home? Um, you know, I think it's it's pretty similar to how it's been all year. You don't notice any spikes or anything like that. Um, <laughs> frankly, they're kind of used to it by now. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think they're just kind of, I, you know, I don't know what they're supposed to do other than try to, you know, say they're going to keep going, and that's pretty much what everyone says. But it, it's... You know, I think they're getting the sense now that it's getting late and stuff like that can't happen. And, you know, it's it's sort of interesting that the bullpen was a strength and now it's it's just not again. And it sort of went the other way, you know, that it usually goes to the trade deadline. Instead of getting stronger, it got worse. And they can't afford that right now. All right. And the Atlanta Braves, they wind up taking down Milwaukee last night, they're 10-1. In first place now. And uh, they are percentage points ahead, one percentage point. Ahead of the Phillies, who dropped a a game out in San Diego to the Padres. But (laughs) go figure, Kevin Gosman getting the win last night uh, for the Braves. (laughs) Uh, But the the Nationals still have an opportunity at this. They're five and a half back, but they are seven back in the loss column. So that's got to be a concern. And I know there's still a series left with the Braves. There's two series left with the Phillies. But you're right, time is getting short. Games are coming off the schedule and the calendar's winding down. Yeah, it's not getting a lot easier for them either. You know, those, those games against the Braves and Phillies aren't going to be easy. Um, so, you know, I think for them, they've got to gain a couple games this week. They can't lose them like they did yesterday. And if they continue to, at some point you have to say this isn't going to happen. And I think they're a lot closer to that than um, 
and maybe we realize that, that maybe that time is coming quicker because it's just not happening. You know, they're just not running off the winds in the way they need to. And, and when they did last week, they didn't gain any ground. So at some point you have to look at it and say, you know, what has this team shown that suggests that it will, you know, put together some magical run? It's certainly possible, but, you know, the, the time is just running out. And, and if they keep splitting with division teams, they're, they're not going to get there. Yeah, Stan, they won 10 out of 13. Yeah. So, you know, and they didn't, didn't pick up, didn't pick up didn't much. Didn't pick up right. much, no. We're talking with Chelsea James of the Washington Post. She covers the Washington Nationals. Chelsea, there's this move when teams hire managers now to go younger and a lot of times uh, less experienced. Um, I know the the rap against Dusty that he had a hard time winning the, the really big games, but at the end of the day, there's a certain calm that these veteran managers have. Does Dave Martinez possess that inside of him, or is this eaten at him, the, 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 the standings and the lateness of the season? Is it starting to play on him? Yeah, I mean, I think for sure it's eating at him. I don't know that it doesn't eat at you know, a veteran manager either, though. I think the calm is more, you know, sort of awareness of how the season works and that it's long and that there's time. But, um, you know, I sort of think he would be right to be worried. You know, I think anybody would be worried about this team. I think, you know, if you – they've just dug themselves a hole. And, I, you know, he's a, he's a calm guy. He's a really positive guy. We don't see a lot of, like, up and down and anger. Um but, you know, it, it, of course it wears, and you can see that, too. So um, I think he's worried. I think he should be. And, you know, I don't know that, you know, Dusty has anything different. I don't I don't know. You know, I don't know how we could get you to say that. Um, and it's sort of a weird argument. You know, I've seen a lot of people make, you know, yep. they shouldn't have fired him. Well, you know, last year you were all, everyone was sort of all in on that. So I don't know. I think at this point there's a lot more going on with this team than Dave Martinez. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And you think back to last year, you and I, along with the rest of the reporters, we sat there on the uh, on the warning track when Mike Rizzo, right before game five against the Cubs, and Mike Rizzo's telling us that, you know, Dusty should be back. We're working on it in negotiation. And then before you know it, just a couple of days after that, it's it's the, the whole situation just turned all of a sudden – you know, it's it's got to be a guy who come in here with one goal, and that's to you know win a World Series and things of that nature. Well, you know, you got to be good, but you also have to be lucky. And I don't think the uh, Nationals have been too lucky in no, their postseason endeavors. Yeah. So, but uh, again, regardless of how that works, uh, you know, you look at yesterday. Uh, one positive, Daniel Murphy's closing in on three hundred, and he looks like the Daniel Murphy we've seen in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those guys weren't themselves for a really long time. I mean, you could argue until maybe two weeks ago, he and Eaton weren't looking, you know, full strength. And now that they are, you know, they are winning. It, it's not coincidence, you know what I mean? Like, they're they're playing better when everyone's healthy. And that's why you can't look at the manager and say, you know, boo, this is on you, because they didn't have the pieces, you know? It, it's not that complicated. So I think, um, you know, it, it, again, it's like you see Murphy coming around, you see Bryce coming around, and it's, you know, they both start to look like themselves again, and, and the wins start coming, but it, it, can they get it going in time? Is it, is it too late already um, for for that to matter? And I think on some level it almost mattered more when they weren't there that, that, than that they are. You know, I think that you suffer more without them than you gain with them there, and you know, wins and losses at this point. So it's um, it's definitely, you know, 
it's just a question of whether they got ready too late or, or if there's still time. What do, what do we know, and what's the latest on Steven Strasburg right now? Um, he's going to throw a big bullpen today. Um, I think they want to do 60 pitches, like four innings up and down. Um, and then a sim game, I think, when they get to St. Louis in a couple of days. So um, he is, you know, getting close. I think he's going to still need a rehab start, but he's he's around and he's around the team right now, which, you know, usually they don't vanquish them, you know, to Florida unless it's really bad. So you can kind of tell from that that they think they'll be back soon. And, um, you know, he, I think he's making progress. We're talking with Chelsea James of the Washington Post. You know, one of the things you you posed the question hypothetically, what makes kind of what makes you think that they can turn this around or or be different at this point in the season? You look at the schedule; they've still got nine games against the Phillies uh, to play, and they've got three more against the Braves. So I guess the schedule uh, still—I'm not saying it favors anybody, but it gives them the opportunity where some of their own destiny might be in their own hands. Right, head-to-head competition, you yeah. can really make hay yes. by beating the teams in front of you. Yes, and I think they play the Marlins maybe six out of the last ten or so games, too. So if it came down to the last week, I think they have an advantage. But, again, it's, it's like they're just hovering. You know, no matter what they do, lose, win, combination of both, they're just about six games back. And, and I, you know, they've been six games worse than those teams for months now. And, and you sort of wonder, like, is that where they should be? You know, are, are they just six games worse this year? And um, we'll see. You know, I think with, if Geo's really actually, you know, pitching well again, you got Tanner Roark looking great, obviously Max. You throw in Steven Strasburg, maybe there's a big run in there. Maybe you catch the Phillies at a bad time. You know, maybe the Braves slide a little bit. But, you know, crazier things have happened, certainly. But, um Every time you sort of think this is the moment, this is when it's going to come, it doesn't come. And I, yeah. you know, I, I think that's why you kind of get discouraged and say, well, maybe it's just not coming. We saw Gio get his first win last time out since May the 28th. Wow. And when you think about the way the month and a half period of time went for, for Tanner Roark, where he was just, just awful, but now <laughs> there's been three very good, solid starts for Tanner in his last three outings, all wins, by the way. And it looks like whatever that problem was, it seems as though he's gotten it straightened out. Yeah, he seems to sort of have something he can tell himself that resets him. You know, he seems to have this thing about sort of staying in his backside, and and he repeats it a lot, and and I think it's really valuable when guys sort of find that thing that resets them. You know, as simple as it is, it's, it really works, you know, because if something goes wrong, they say, okay, let me get back to that. And if that's the thing that always seems to work, both mentally and physically, that's very valuable. So I think for him, um, he's found that. I think, you know, it's it always seemed like it would be one little thing because the velocity was there and, and the stuff was there. It just wasn't really clicking. Um, and I think he found it. And it took probably long. Well, I'll tell you. like the 2016 version. Yeah, when when he's throwing ground balls and then he's got that sinker working, he's a he's a different pitcher altogether. You know, it's it's interesting. One of the one of the risks you run when you make a change such as the Dusty Baker change is that then you you come in. Uh, they did not keep their pitching coach, no, did no. they? No, he went to St. Louis. Right. Yeah. So Maddox. so the guy who knew, who knew how to fix Rourke and Geo maybe a little bit quicker. You know, he's not there, and there's a period of familiarity that needs to build up uh maybe that had something to do with it chelsea um 
there was all this conjecture. I wasn't buying it at all, but at the trade, the couple days before the trade deadline, are the Nats in? Are they are they sellers? Are they buyers? Are they really going to move Bryce Harper? Where do you think they are with Bryce, and where is Bryce on the return to Washington? Do you still think it's possible? Yeah, sure. I, I, I definitely do. You know, I I think they're where everybody else is. is we'll talk to him when he's a free agent. But, I, you know, I, I don't know that they have an advantage. I don't know that he has a favorite. I think we all sort of assume sometimes that there's this grid, right, that Bryce has always known or whatever. I don't think he does. I don't think he knows at all. Um, and so, you know, I think struggling this year might have really increased the not chances. Uh, Bryce struggling, that is, because, you know, he, he sort of realizes, you know, when he went through all that, I'm just kind of to see that support. I think maybe there's a realization there of like, wow, this is the place that's kind of stuck with me. And, you know, I think also this is sort of maybe the place where if things don't go the way he wants on the market, that, you know, Boris can get with the lawyers and they get something done. I don't know that that's the likely scenario. Mm-hmm. I don't even know that it's, you know, one of the likely scenarios, but I think it exists. And I think that the chances have increased this year that he stays because, you know, he didn't blow away everybody. He didn't, you know, guarantee himself this massive deal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of up in the air. And, and when things are up in the air, you sort of, you know, sometimes you tend to go with what you know. It'll be interesting to see what happens because, uh, you know, he certainly found something different. Since, you know, a lot of people say winning that all-star home run derby kind of messes people up. It seems to have worked the exact opposite for Bryce. Yeah, absolutely. I think it shows you really everything you need to know that it was probably more of a mental thing than anything, you know, probably more in his head and, and to see the city respond that way and, and to remember that he's got that in him, I think was really valuable and, uh, you know, had nothing to do with what was happening physically there. So is it safe to say with what you're telling me about Strasburg that probably the next homestand you could, you could see him starting a game uh, for the Nationals? I would say nothing safe to say with him ever. Um, but I, I <laughs> True. I think it's later. I think it's later. I think he would have to, um, you know, make a rehab start probably that weekend at their home and, and maybe sneak in there. But, maybe, you know, I think more likely on the next road trip. Hey, uh, we've got time for one more question, and I wanted to really pose it to both of you because I never had the pleasure to cover uh, Jason Worth. But uh, Jason announced about four or five weeks ago that he was walking away from the game. He was in the Mariners AAA. uh, He was on the Tacoma team uh, for a good chunk of the season. Now it's about five weeks later, and he comes out, and he has this big, bold statement that uh, the game's being overtaken by these computer nerds, you know, and analytics people, and why don't they just put laptops on there? Did anything he say – strike you, uh, surprise you, or was that the way you thought Jason felt all along, guys? And I'm asking it to both of you guys. Well, I know I know he's good at pick-up softball. What do you think, Chelsea? <laughs> no, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, I heard him say the line, you know, there's more, good rule, more rule changes in the last five minutes the last 100. I think I heard him say that probably 20 times. So, yeah, he, he was always kind of that good old guy, you know. Um, never thought he was that old. Um, but, it, you know, I, it doesn't surprise me at all. None of that surprises me at all. I think he's so frustrated that he didn't get a job. And, yeah. um, you know, in his mind, that's why. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. Excellent point. Do you see the video of him uh, down at the uh, pickup softball game? I did see that. <laughs> <laughs>
he hits one just nine miles to left field in that pickup softball game. All right. Hey, Chelsea, we appreciate your coming on. Enjoy the rest of your stay in Chicago and safe travels. Yeah, thanks for having me. All thanks right. a lot. There you go. Chelsea James does a great job with the Washington Post. She does. She's, she literally is one of the best people around. Really? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that you say that every time. Yeah. And she is. And she's a hell of a writer. Uh, we're going to take a uh, brief time out here, and then when we get back, we'll uh, finish things off and uh, bid our adieus. We'll be right back with more on the bat around after this. Ironbirds fans, make your way to Lido's Field at Ripken Stadium on Saturday, August 25th as your Ironbirds take the field as the Star-Spangled Banners of Aberdeen to face the Staten Island Yankees on Opioid Awareness Night presented by Lido's. Come see the world's best extreme pogo entertainment as the ex-pogo stunt team performs throughout the game. Enjoy the number one rated fireworks performance in Northeast Maryland postgame. Visit ironbirdsbaseball.com or call 410-297-9292 to secure your Ironbirds experience. All right, back to close things out on the bat around, and we appreciate you either uh, tuning in on the, the website to listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio or uh, watching us on Facebook Live at uh, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Craig and I are on our way out to Camden Yards in just the next few minutes. Looks like a long day might be in store for us with some weather in the midst of a day-night doubleheader. Um, Craig, uh, the pitching matchup in the first game is, is it Jimmy Yacobonis in yes. game one? and David Price. And David Price in game one. Um, game two is... Yeah, but David Price can be had. I know he can be. Right. I know he can be. I don't like him. I'm not, I don't I'm not, like David Price. Well, I don't like David Price either, but I'm not a... Yeah. I, I, I feel much better against David Price than I do against Chris Sale. Yeah, but Sale's not... He's pitching tomorrow. Yeah, I know. He goes against saying. Alex Cobb. But who's do we know who's pitching for the Red Sox in the know. nightcap? I don't know. Okay, they might surprise us with somebody. Um... Uh, and the Nats are out in Chicago. Who's pitching today for the Nats against the Cubs? Uh, Tanner Rourke, I do believe. Okay, all right. Um, what's the status to, in closing on the on the closing situation? Well, right Madsen, now, Matson's going to close right, right now. Right now, Matson and probably Doolittle is going to be probably another week and a half away. Uh, and what about Herrera? They don't know yet how long uh, it's going to uh, be. Herrera's ten days for sure because he's okay. on the ten day DL. And that was the frustrating thing about the Scherzer start the other day yeah. was it's a 1-1 game into the ninth inning, and then he tells us after the game, well, I, you know, had, I, I felt the stiffness when I got to the mound. And why, why I'm like, do you go why, to the why do you go to the mound? You don't tell yeah. anybody? Yeah. You know, and yeah. then before you know it, he gives up a couple of base hits. He gets a, a, a great play by Rendon, who catches a line drive as he's on the lip of the infield grass, uh, which – Almost took his head off, and then he gives up the home run, and before you know it, it's uh, – no, I'm sorry, not the home run, but the triple. Right. And then before you know it, it's a two-run triple. And then, and then, then they, they, got, they steal the game. They steal the game. Uh, you mentioned the Red Sox and your questions about their pitching staff. You know, not so much the starting staff, that bullpen, which we know now more and more plays a huge part in the sure. postseason. What about the Dodgers? Uh, you know, I think everybody felt – that when when the Dodgers 
got Manny Machado, they really had the leg up. They moved to probably be the best team in the National League. Well, I think and that they've was been the basically case. a 500 team, and now they lose Kenley Jansen. They lose Kenley Jansen, and he's going to be uh, at least a gonna, month. Um, at least a month, and that's a huge with an blow irregular heartbeat because the uh, the bullpen did not serve them well uh, in last night's game. And again, it's it's a that's a tough tough pill to swallow for Dave Roberts because. Now they've got to piece it together on the back end, and uh, when you have leads, you have to be able to hold them. And they're in a division right now where three teams are within two or three games yep. of one another, yep. so it's going to be a, it's going to be interesting. It's interesting. I'm not saying that Andrew Friedman and Zarhan, uh, what's his name, Farhan Zaidi, yeah, the general manager of the Dodgers. I'm not saying they're arrogant people, but there was a lot of thought. Built leading up to July 31st, that they were real close to a deal with the Tigers for Shane Green. Mm-hmm. They didn't make it. Now you got to get them through waivers, and you could see a Rockies team, perhaps you know, because it's not blocking like you're it or blocking whatever, yeah. it or whatever. Uh, how do they try and get around this? Because I don't like the names I'm seeing in in relief now. No, no, you know. But again, you got to piece it together. You got to try to do the best you can with matchups. And when you don't have a Kenley Jansen, that's a big blow out of you. It's like yeah. the Nationals losing Sean Doolittle. It's, yep. uh, you, know, you know, it's like the Orioles losing Zach Britton, you know, bef- before a trade. Sure. So, I mean, when, when your top guys aren't there coming down a stretch, I mean, think about the Nationals' bullpen and the transformation it's gone through in the last three weeks. When Brandon Kinsler gets traded to the Cubs, by the way, he was part of that game yep. yesterday. Yep. And then uh, uh, Sean Kelly throws his glove down. Uh, after giving up a three-run homer in a 25-1 to game, which he felt like he should have never been in, right. and then shows up Dave Martinez by glaring into the dugout after he after he threw his glove on the ground. That's the thing that got him DFA'd. Right. And uh, so again, it's 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 tough when you're trying to when you're shaky already and you're trying to build some consistency in the back end of your bullpen, and you don't have your main guys. Yeah, very tricky right now because it's interesting. Uh, somehow Billy Bean was able to navigate and has picked up in about 10 days, he's picked up uh, Juris Familia, mm-hmm. Sean Kelly, mm-hmm. and now Fernando Rodney. Right. I was talking to Hank Allen last night, the scout for the Astros. Don't be shocked if somehow the Dodgers now come calling to the A's and, but again, I think other teams can block Rodney or Familia from going to the Yeah, Dodgers. and keep in mind that the A's are still very much alive for a playoff Oh, no, spot. I know yeah. that. But they almost seem like they got a, a overkill in the bullpen. Well, that's right fine now. and dandy. If yeah. you're if you're Bob Melvin yeah, and your you starter and your starter goes five or six innings, you, you got, love that. Yeah, you yeah, love absolutely. that. Absolutely. All right. It's twelve o'clock, my friend. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Welcome back to the wars. Uh, how how did it go today? What do you think? I'm fine. Yeah, okay. It's like I never left. Yeah, Brittany's like still never Brittany's left. still gorgeous. You're still a pain in the neck. It's like I never left. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. All right, we'll see you out at the ballpark. Uh, thank you for listening. Tomorrow, inside press box. Uh, we had two uh, new basketball co- head basketball coaches, Tavares Hardy of Loyola of Maryland, mm-hmm. and Eric Skeeters, who was on the Coppin staff when they beat South Carolina two versus a 15. And, yeah, and, that game, and he's on yeah. the UMBC staff when they beat Virginia this year. He's now the new head coach at Delaware State. All Eric right, Skeeters. the Hornets, good, yeah, good guy. out of the good MEAC. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that uh, wraps us up tomorrow. 
Uh, Ken Zalis and um, Sarita Hubbard, the NFL, NFL chick, chick yeah. along with Kyle. No, you're you're sitting in. She's doing double duty this weekend. All right, well, the we're other out thing of is here. If, if you're talking, if you're sitting in for Kyle tomorrow, you just have to get your voice a little deeper. That's all. A lot deeper. A lot deeper. All right. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.